This week, Windstream debtors argue, quote, arrangement, not a true lease. PG&E given time to discuss competing plan process. Philadelphia Energy files for Chapter 11. Again. More on all this, and as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Welcome to the week in Reorg. Hello, and welcome to the Reorg podcast, where we bring you the latest top developments in high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm Connor Skelding for Reorg in New York. And I'm Alex Brosman. Later in the episode, our Director of Credit Research, Mark Fisher, provides a preview of second quarter results with a focus on companies that could see a capital structure restructuring in the near future. It's Sunday, July 28th. The Windstream debtors filed a complaint on Thursday morning arguing that the Unity Master Lease is, quote, no such thing. Instead, the debtors assert, quote, calling this arrangement a lease rather than what it actually is, a financing, in and beyond the multi-party context of Chapter 11, gives license to a long-term transfer of billions of dollars away from the debtors to the everlasting and irreparable detriment of their creditors. This attempt at recharacterization of the lease comes alongside a parallel motion for mediation on the Unity Master Lease dispute also filed by the debtors. The adversary complaint was expected after the unsecured notes trustees indicated earlier in the week that the debtors had committed to filing a complaint against Unity, seeking recharacterization of the arrangement in parallel with mediation. In addition to challenging the characterization of the lease, The complaint also asserts that Unity has received a number of constructive fraudulent transfers through tenant capital improvements and above-market rent payments totaling in the, quote, hundreds of millions of dollars in damages. The complaint adds that Windstream's insolvency expert has determined that the company became insolvent, inadequately capitalized, and or unable to pay its debts as they came due no later than the third quarter of 2017. The filing asserts that, quote, $650 million in annual rent, which will grow to more than $690 million in 2030, was not market, nor was it intended to be. Instead, the debtors say that the parties chose a non-negotiated base rent, quote, to appease shareholders no longer receiving a windstream dividend and to mimic traditional REIT structures involving traditional real estate. Thus, the above-market rent and tenant capital improvements exceeded the fair market rent value of the, quote, leased networks, thereby giving rise to a fraudulent transfer claim, according to the following. Finally, the debtors also argued that, despite receiving, quote, excess benefits under the arrangement, Unity has not honored its obligation to Windstream. Specifically, the complaint asserts that Unity repeatedly breached the lease's non-competition clause by causing subsidiaries to acquire certain of Windstream's competitors. Quote, It was not Windstream's intent when creating Unity and structuring the master lease that Unity become another competitor of Windstream's, the filing states. Philadelphia Energy Solutions, the owner of the largest oil refinery on the U.S. eastern seaboard, filed for Chapter 11 in the Bankruptcy Court for the District of Delaware following a catastrophic fire at its primary refining complex that the debtors say has left them in a, quote, crippled state. The debtors previously emerged from bankruptcy in August of last year. In his first day declaration, Jeffrey Stein, the debtors' CRO, states that the debtors aim to advance a dialogue with insurers relating to, quote, property and business interruption insurance claims for the losses caused by the Girard Point incident, with the aim of an immediate advance and a global resolution that will allow the debtors to restore their operations. The debtors have yet to obtain an insurance advance, says Stein, 
adding that these, quote, insurance proceeds are the very heart of these Chapter 11 cases. The sooner the debtors can recover, the sooner the business can complete its recovery. The, the debtors obtained a $100 million dip financing commitment from holders of the company's outstanding term loan debt. At the first day hearing, Judge Kevin Gross granted all of the PES Holdings debtors requested first day relief after the debtors resolved a dip objection filed by ICBC Standard Bank, or ICBCS. ICBCS had objected to the dip, arguing that the debtors' proposed dip term loan facility would impermissibly prime their liens. The debtors have agreed to work with ICBCS with respect to their cash collateral budget and uncertain lien priority issues. The court also overruled an objection lodged by the U.S. trustee, who opposed provisions in the proposed interim dip order providing for a Section 506C waiver and a limitation on certain environmental liabilities. Judge Gross authorized the debtors to access $65 million under a senior-secured dip term loan facility on an interim basis. Although certain term loan lenders have committed to funding the dip, which would provide for up to $100 million of financings upon entry of a final order, all term loan lenders are able to participate in the facility for the first 25 days after entry of the interim dip order, debtors counsel said at the first day hearing. Judge Gross scheduled a second day hearing on August 21st. A formation meeting for an official committee of unsecured creditors is scheduled for August 1st. Judge Dennis Montali adjourned the ad hoc note holder group's plan exclusivity termination motion until the August 13 omnibus hearing date. Following an oral request by counsel to the California Public Utilities Commission, joined by the office of Governor Gavin Newsom. The continuance is intended to permit case parties to negotiate a framework for a competing plan process. Significant to the plan process generally, Judge Montali and counsel to the CPUC both agreed that the recently legislatively imposed June 30, 2020 deadline for the debtors to, quote, resolve their Chapter 11 cases in order to be able to access the wildfire recovery fund created under AB 1054 is effectively a deadline for plan confirmation. The court said it will expect a status update on any potential framework consensus or lack thereof at the already scheduled August 9th hearing. Judge Montali noted that even if a consensual framework cannot be reached, any competing plans would still need an efficient and coordinated schedule process. As he has intimated previously, the judge added that he would not terminate plan exclusivity across the board, but instead would consider exclusivity termination on a motion-by-motion basis, requiring a party to establish cause and present a plan term sheet. Meanwhile, in an 8K filed on Thursday, PG&E Corporation indicated that its operating subsidiary, Pacific Gas and Electric Company, had notified the CPUC on July 23rd of its decision to participate in the statewide fund, as established by AB 1054. According to the filing, the utility estimates that its initial contribution to the fund would be approximately $4.8 billion, and that its annual contributions would would then be successively $193 million per year, approximately. That amount would be subject to adjustment pursuant to the allocation mechanism set forth in AB 1054. The filing adds that, quote, participation in the wildfire fund is expected to have a material impact on pg and corporations and the utilities, financial condition, results of operations, liquidity, and cash flows.
The island of Puerto Rico had a wild week indeed. On Wednesday, Judge Laura Taylor Swain announced at an omnibus hearing in Puerto Rico's Title III cases that she will enter an order staying a series of contested omnibus claims objections and adversary proceedings until November 30th. Many of these matters were the subject of either stay motions or procedures motions that were expected to be heard at the hearing. Judge Swain said that the time had come for a pause during which the parties must work with a mediation team to identify key and gating issues and assess their cross-cutting and collateral implications, among other things. The court's order provides for the mediation team, led by Judge Barbara Hauser, to engage parties in an attempt to achieve consensual agreement, first in connection with scheduling matters, and then in connection with a plan of adjustment for one or more of the Title III debtors. The order requires various parties to participate in the discussions and communications led by the mediation team leader, including the Permisa Oversight Board, the Official Committee of Unsecured Creditors in the Title III Cases, the Official Retiree Committee, and the Puerto Rico Fiscal Agency and Financial Advisory Authority, or AFAF, as well as the various plaintiffs, defendants, movements, and respondents in connection with the pleadings that are the subject of the order and other parties and interests that have appeared to date, as directed by Judge Hauser. Also at the hearing, Counsel Martin Bienenstock of Proscar Rose said that the Promesa Oversight Board is now aiming to file a Commonwealth Plan of Adjustment within the next few weeks or as soon as reasonably possible. In his status update, Bienenstock said the delay beyond the previously stated mid-July target was due to factors including the Oversight Board's efforts to compile more data for the Associated Disclosure Statement and the Board's continued exploration of additional agreements with, with creditor constituencies. Bienenstock said that even after a plan of adjustment is submitted to the court, the Oversight Board anticipates a significant period of negotiations with additional creditor groups before it requests a hearing on the disclosure statement. Judge Swain's decision came in the midst of mass citizen protests and demands by political leaders in Puerto Rico and the U.S. for Governor Ricardo Rosseo to resign following the publication of widely criticized group chat messages between Rosseo and a circle of close advisors, in addition to the arrests of former administration officials and contractors amid an ongoing federal probe. On social media Wednesday night, the governor announced that he will surrender his office on August 2nd at 5 p.m. to ensure an orderly transition of the Commonwealth government. His resignation coincided with the start of House Speaker Carlos Johnny Mendez's effort to impeach the governor. Because of a vacancy in the Secretary of State position, Justice Secretary Wanda Vasquez is next in line to take over Rosseo's post. However, Roseo and legislative leaders are in the process of negotiating the appointment of someone to fill that post and become governor. On Thursday, the Federal Emergency Management Agency announced it has reinstated the manual drawdown process for the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico as an additional step to protect the federal investment, meaning that, effective immediately, the Puerto Rico government must receive approval from the agency to draw down grant funds for Hurricane Irma and Maria recovery. The ongoing leadership changes within the Puerto Rican government, combined with continued concern over Puerto Rico's history of fiscal irregularities and mismanagement, drove FEMA to reinstate the policy, the press secretary Lizzie Listow said in a release. Other top stories this week were J.C. Penney confirms has not hired advisors to prepare for in-court restructuring or bankruptcy, pro forma capital structure for Malincrot available on Reorg website, Estimated $536.1 million total liquidity. 
$150 million Blackhawk term dip on hold, pending lender consent to removal of unencumbered leases from collateral package at interim stage, confirmation hearing set for August 28th. And here's Jim Holloway with the week ahead. Well, thank you all up there in Empire State. Glad you got through your little heat wave okay, and I mean that. Only one or two blackouts, I believe. Anyway, another busy week here as we approach the dog days of summer, most of it related to corporate earnings. Starting on Monday, July 29th, with McDermott reporting its second quarter, I'll know that Train 1 of the Freeport LNG plant reached final commissioning stage earlier this month, so that's some good news for them. Also in Flexivan, it's the expiration of their exchange offer. Tuesday, June 30th, look who's back from the beach. A confirmation hearing in PHI and a UCC formation meeting in Emerge Energy. On the earnings side, it's Intelsat with second quarter results. Wednesday, June 31st, Sears, a Rule 3012 hearing and a backstop exit financing hearing in Legacy Reserves. And earnings from Pioneer Energy, Scorpio Tankers, Altice USA, CBL Properties, and Hornbeck Offshore. I'm looking forward to that one. And to the call, always a good time with Mr. Todd. And that call is on Thursday, August 1st, which also brings the expiration of Halcone's Covenant Waiver and earnings from Bombardier, Clear Channel Outdoor, Avon, Acorn, Northern Oil and Gas, and California Resources. Speaking of California, I read where Berkeley this past week banned natural gas in new homes. Well, there you go. That'll show them. And also, don't you worry, lawyers. Weatherford, there's a second day hearing and a UCC formation meeting in Philadelphia Energy Solutions. And Friday, August 2nd, there's just that Law 29 oral argument in Puerto Rico to get out of the way. And then you can grab the banker bag and trot over to the Jitney Stop located conveniently throughout the New York metropolitan area. The rest of us will be joining you after the Northern Oil and Gas Call and MoneyGram second order earnings and call. Or maybe like me, you'll be sitting on the pier at Galveston counting all them oil rigs out there in the Gulf. And that is all from me. Back to y'all in New York. Thanks, Jim. Next, Mark runs through second quarter results with a focus on companies that could have a cap stack restructuring soon. Today, we're going to try a new segment. I am going to give a preview of companies that we'll be keeping an eye, a close eye on at Reorg as these companies report. Uh, these are companies that might be in a forbearance period, have issued going concern warnings, or something else which might make us, uh, which puts us on high alert for potential restructuring or some sort of capital structure fix. Uh, of course, earning, earning season has already started, but the more stressed companies uh, that we follow here typically report later in uh, in the period, and we expect these results to roll in over the next couple of weeks uh, for the most part. So uh, with that, first one uh, that I wanted to discuss, Halcone. Uh, Halcone's Permian-focused Permian, uh, EMP. Uh, last quarter, they received a waiver under their credit agreement uh, related to the company's net debt to EBITDA ratio. Uh, that forbearance period expires August 1st. The company said that it did not expect to be in compliance with that leverage ratio or the current ratio beginning with the second quarter. At the time that it received the waiver for the first quarter, Halcone asked lenders for a 12-month waiver, but lenders said no. Halcone also has a coupon payment due August 15th. 
In June, Hakon appointed a new CEO, and earlier this month, the CFO retired. Capital structure includes $105 million drawn under its revolver, $625 million in notes uh, that were last indicated in the 20s, about 20 points lower uh, since they reported their first quarter results, uh, which creates the company at uh, market a little under two and a half uh, times. About $118 million of liquidity at March 31st, and the company's LTM EBITDA was about $130 million, uh, but due in part to almost $450 million in capital expenditures, negative $386 million in free cash flow for that LTM period. Uh, Reorg has reported that, according to sources, Halcone's lenders are working with RPA Advisors and Simpson Thatcher. Halcone is working with uh, Perella Weinberg and Tudor Pickering. And bondholders are working with Paul Weiss and uh, Ducera, according to, uh, to sources. Another sticking uh, in energy land, another one uh, that we'll be watching closely, EP Energy, uh, Permian and Eagle Fur producer. EP Energy, uh, partly owned by Apollo, is another um, uh, another energy name. Like I said, uh, the company also has assets in the northeastern um, Utah region. Uh, company surprised some people in the fourth quarter is when we, um, you know, really were watching it closely when they warned of a possible going concern warning for its first quarter, which they had already reported, um, given the 182 million of unsecured notes that are due in May of 2020. Uh, so since then, we've had some mixed signals from the company. They continue to pay interest. Uh, in the first quarter, the company bought back 50 million of unsecured notes. Uh, but then John Hannon, who was appointed by Apollo to the company's board, resigned in May. Uh, company finally released its uh, 10Q for the first quarter, uh, also in May. That was the one we were waiting for. Uh, it did, in fact, warn on its ability to continue as a going concern and said, quote, in order to address this projected shortfall in liquidity, we are evaluating other sources of incremental liquidity, including issuing additional debt, refinancing our debt and or selling assets, none of which have been implemented at this time, end quote. The company's somewhat, uh, I guess you call it iconic capital structure, and includes their revolver. This is where it gets interesting. A billion and one and an eighth lien notes. 500 million in one and a quarter lien notes, 2 billion in one and a half lien uh, notes, and then uh, over 600 million in unsecured notes. Interesting thing about this capital structure is the uh, unsecured notes. That's what actually matures uh, in the near term. Um, and, and next, you have maturities in 2020, 2022, and 2023, all unsecured. Uh, notes, though those unsecured notes are now in the uh, in the, in the single digits, so we'll be watching um, out for that one. Last uh, energy name that I wanted to to talk about. Feral Gas, a propane distributor. Uh, the company's next quarter is uh, actually, the end of the next quarter is actually the company's end of uh, fiscal year, so we actually won't get that uh, result until September, but I did want to mention it uh, since you could see a going concern warning uh, from their auditors in that um, in, in those statements. Feral Gas has 357 million of apparent level debt 
that uh, matures June 15th of 2020, so you'll be within that 12-month uh, uh, period. Feral gas has $1.9 billion uh, of operating level uh, level debt, including $415 million of secured debt, and uh, the rest is unsecured at that operating level. And then the $357 million that matures next year, that's uh, parent-level debt. Um, rest of uh, capital structure after that parent level debts, really everything comes due in successive years, um, 2021, 2022, and 2023 is, uh, you know, how it's split up. Uh, so it's, it's difficult to see, um, how they would make an exchange, um, work. The company, um, is working with Paul Weiss, according to sources, and, uh, has said in, uh, the company has said in prior calls that, all options are on the table. And CEO James Farrell, uh, he had said the company has evaluated options that include exchanging the 2020 notes for bonds at the operating partnership level or funding secured debt at the operating partnership to refinance the partner's notes. That's what he has said in prior calls. Uh, Holco bonds, um, though the parent level debt that's trading in the uh, recently indicated in the 70s, Opco notes in the 80s. Uh, when you look at results, they have been deteriorating. Um, there are propane distributors, so there are some secular trends um, here for uh, propane as a heating source or um, feral gas. What their strategy has been has been to roll up smaller regional players. Uh, recently, Reorg, uh, we wrote a, uh, an article analyzing the company's historical cash flow. Uh, feral gas is, when we look at it, feral gas is free cash flow turned negative in the past 18 months. Um, decline in free cash flow was driven in part by a more expensive credit agreement that uh, they entered into of May of last year um, and also by increases in, in fixed costs uh, within the company's propane business, uh, particularly when you measure it on a per gallon uh, basis. Gross profit, though, uh, has actually remained relatively uh, flattish, um, definitely some bumps in the road, uh, but uh, overall sort of flat over the last uh, six-year period. But um, they've also been uh, doing these tack-on acquisitions, so uh, organic growth uh, might be a little bit worse than that. Uh, so that's... Um, yeah, that's it for the energy ones. And also, um, these are sort of, um, this ends sort of the, the going concern uh, category. Wanted to move on to another um, category of names that we'll be watching. Just a couple of more that I wanted to discuss um, here. These are what I like to call the show me companies. Uh, these are companies that have been reporting um, some not so stellar results, uh, you could say, but they have, uh, they claim that um, they can turn things around and generate cash for the full year. So the first one in that, uh, in that category is Dean Foods. Um, this is a dairy producer. Uh, many people uh, listening will likely know almost a billion in debt, 700 million of which is an unsecured note. First quarter, the company reported negative 53 million in EBITDA, which was down from positive 67 million a year ago. Free cash flow in the first quarter was negative 98.6 million. Uh, revenue was down 9%. So in uh, the, the business, there are some negative consumption um, trends uh, that have been 
discussed uh, at length in the industry, but the company also is likely losing share. Uh, it's pretty well known that Walmart uh, has taken a part of its business away from Dean. We've also seen some losses from regional supermarkets too. On uh, its first quarter call, the company said that it expects to generate free cash flow. So this is where the show me story comes in. They expect to generate free cash flow for the, uh, the full year 2019. Um, they also said that they expect uh, positive free cash flow in each quarter for the remainder of the year, uh, which would come from both an improvement in earnings and uh, working capital reversal. Um, the company's first quarter call, CEO, um, or at the time, CEO Ralph Skazafava said he is encouraged by several trends. He said the company is seeing improvement in its plant network and distribution systems as it reduced product shrink during the quarter, got freight in line with shipments to compensate for some manufacturing gaps that occurred in the prior quarter and continually brought down labor costs throughout the quarter. Um, and the company also added that uh, it's starting to see some benefits of its uh, procurement enhancement efforts, uh, which are hitting um, P&L. Uh, but then um, on uh, just this past Friday, uh, the company announced that uh, Skazafaba would be stepping down, replaced by um, Eric Berengoss, uh, effective July 29th. Um, so looking back, uh, way back in February, the company said that it was seeking strategic alternatives. Uh, they said that those would enhance shareholder value um, at the time. So we'll see if uh, th that objective has, uh, has, has changed. Um, company brought on Evercore and, and Gibson Dunn. Uh, at the time, those strategic initiatives included the disposition of certain assets, the formation of a joint venture, a strategic business combination, a transaction that uh, results in private ownership, or a sale of the company, or some combination of these. So uh, we'll see what they uh, what they say next. Uh, last company uh, has been in the news uh, quite a bit lately. Uh, retailer J.C. Penney. Um, so J.C. Penney Reuters uh, said that recently that um, they had hired advisors. Um, they actually won't, they're a retailer, so they're in the off month. They won't report until later in August, so not too far um, away, but a little bit after um, the earnings, this earnings season, if you um, say that that earnings season ends August 15th, so JCPenney will probably report end of, um, end of the month. Um, JCPenney came out um, after the Reuters story. They came out and said that they did not hire advisors to, quote, prepare for an in-court restructuring or bankruptcy. However, they also said, quote, as a public company, we routinely hire external advisors to evaluate opportunities for the company by working with some of the best firms in the industry. We are taking positive and proactive measures as we have done in the past to improve our capital structure and the long-term health of our balance sheet. We have no significant debt maturities coming due in the near term and we continue to maintain a strong liquidity position. So what does that mean reading between the lines? Um, they didn't exactly deny uh, hiring advisors. They just uh, claim that um, they're not uh, planning to file for bankruptcy and that was not the purpose of hiring advisors to um, to file for bankruptcy. Uh, so that the company, um, you know, why does it fall under the show me category? Um, they do, uh, after some, you know, pretty uh, poor results, uh, they 
did say that they uh, expect, and actually reiterated because they said it in the, the fourth quarter of last year as well, that they expect for this fiscal year to generate free cash flow. Um, though the company does define free cash flow to include asset sales. Um, first quarter is looking at results. First quarter comps were down 5.5%. Gross margin, though, did stay roughly flat, a little over uh, 33% for uh, the full year. Uh, JCPenney said that they're expecting a same-store sales decline in line with what they experienced in the first quarter. Um, with retailers, always have to watch out uh, for uh, vendor squeeze, uh, particularly ahead of the, the holiday season. It certainly brought down um, some other uh, pretty big uh, named um, uh, retailers. At Reorg, uh, what we did to try and analyze uh, this, we looked at cash burn, which could come from working capital if, uh, in a worst case scenario, if all the company's vendors uh, went to cash on delivery before uh, delivering any um, any merchandise to JCPenney. What we found, we calculated that um, that squeeze could lead to almost a billion dollar uh, cash burn. Uh, the company, putting that in context, the company on its first quarter call claimed that uh, the low point of liquidity for the year would be about $1.5 billion. They didn't say uh, whether or not, um, you know, w what it meant for uh, or what they were assuming for days payable. We assume uh, that their liquidity estimate didn't include a massive uh, vendor squeeze and was more sort of uh, business as usual um, when it came to uh, to trade uh, to um, uh, to trade in days payable. Um, so if you take you know our cash burn estimate, company would still have uh, some some cushion uh, with that billion dollar cash burn compared to the billion and a half um, that they have said. So that's certainly one that we'll be looking out for. I'm sure a lot of other people will be paying close attention to that um, that that earnings call. So that's I uh, hope you guys enjoyed uh, that segment. We'll do it again next quarter and back to HQ. Thank you for listening to another Reorg Weekly Review. As always, you can find all Reorg podcasts on our site's media page, iTunes, and SoundCloud. This has been The Week in Reorg, and I'm Alex Brosman.